If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week our guest is best-selling author, senior Atlantic editor, and CNN political analyst Ron Brownstein. No one knows more about American politics. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to our sponsors, Henson Shaving and ExpressVPN, in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, James, a lot to talk about, but two cases uh, stick out to me. Hunter Biden settled a tax case, got a two-year probation for uh, an illegal gun possession. The House vigilantes, McCarthy, Jordan, and Comer all screamed. They were in an uproar, double standard, throw the book at Trump and give Hunter Biden a slap on the wrist. Just a couple of things. The charges against Trump as his attorney general and his former defense secretary said are grave, grave. As for Hunter Biden, number one, the prosecutor, as you have pointed out, on innumerable occasions, James, was a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware. Two tax lawyers say, if anything, Hunter, who had paid these taxes, got a tougher treatment than the average citizen. Three, uh, despite the charges from McCarthy and others, the Attorney General Merrick Garland had no involvement in this case at all. He follows a very high standard of, for integrity and ethics that would be alien to Jim, Jim Jordan's. And for right-wingers to scream about going easy on gun possession, I mean, think about that, James. The right-wingers say it's going easy on gun possession. These are the guys that want us to pack heat in schools, churches, shopping centers, ball games, anyplace else. Uh, so uh, I, I think this case was settled correctly. I would say the U.S. attorney has said the case is not necessarily closed. And I worry about this very troubled Hunter Biden uh, he did some he, – he, he traded on a, on a famous name. He got jobs in Ukraine that he was totally unqualified for uh, and did some other things. There is no indication, none whatsoever, and based on very good reporting back in 2016, 17, 18, that his father – not only is there no indication his father benefited from any of this, but his father actually was the one that cracked down on a crooked Ukrainian prosecutor – uh, that I think Donald Trump probably likes. So uh, I, it's not over politically, but I'm glad the le- this part of the legal case is over at least, James. Well, there's a couple of things that sort of buttress the case. First, uh, Weiss is the Trump-appointed United States attorney in Delaware. Trump singled him out as one of the people that really agreed with him on, on how to fight crime. There were nine other U.S. attorneys that Trump singled out. 
Mr. Weiss has said that he received no interference from the Justice Department, that he was totally in charge of this case, in part to conclusion. The third thing to remember is on the gun possession case, he did, uh, he, he didn't acknowledge that he was an addict. He was. His w- w- then wife threw the gun away after two weeks. Uh, just not a, 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 a scent of any kind of favoritism in this at all. Uh, it's totally in line with everything else. And I think about, so I've seen a lot of commentary. The Justice Department never says something is closed, and they would say it's open because, well, they hadn't even had the sentencing yet. I mean, there's some chance the judge could yeah. sentence her to jail. So I'm not very worried about that. I think, for, for by and large, the criminal investigation of, of Hunter Biden uh, is concluded, and they're going to make they're going to make fools of themselves. This is the thing that you don't people have to understand. Please, they brought John Durham there. Jerry Nadler made an idiot out of. Why do we care? Just in a system where it's with a ninety-seven percent conviction rate, he's a hundred percent acquittal rate. And Mr. Weiss is going to say, "I got no interference from anybody," and they're going to know that this is totally in line with with. with you know, they prosecute a gazillion of these cases a year. And they're too stupid to know how stupid they are. So please invite him to, to testify. Please bring John Durham back. Please do. They're just not that smart. And until we realize that, we're, we're missing a big opportunity. You know, James, I think you're right. Uh, and I'm, I'm really not much worried about uh, <clears throat> any further uh, case, although with Hunter Biden, I'm never quite sure. I, I, and I think any investigation they have up with Jim Jordan and James Comer will be, uh, you know, will be to put it delicately a shit show because that's what they do. That's all they're capable of doing. I guess if I have any concern, I think the continuation of this, I think it weighs personally on Joe Biden. Uh, I, I, for, for whatever, we all would worry about our children being uh, uh, subjected to this and being in the news and, and, and their if they have an unsavory past being it highlighted, I think it probably affects Biden a little bit more than most because of the circumstances uh, going back to when uh, Hunter was only two years old and they had that tragic accident. So that that concerns me. But uh, I think the offset may be you're right as far as the House Judiciary Committee, the House Oversight Committee. Bring it on, baby. Bring it on. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. I'm sure it does. Anybody with a child would, would relate to that. Of course, it it, it tortures him to, to no end. But, you know, I think he's been a good parent. I think he's obviously a flawed kid. But, you know, he's stuck with him in a way that, you know, I'd like to think I'd stick with one of my kids if they had any similar situation. But, yeah, I'm, yeah I, 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 you can't get over how stupid these people are. You know, there used to be a, a show thing, I looked it up, the, the Dumbest Criminals <laughs> Trump might be the dumbest fucking criminal I've ever lived. This guy yeah. can't stop convicting himself. My, my, I, I mean, yeah. that, that, now it's not going to matter to any. I, if I were like a Trump supporter, they, they have to be some, at some level, they got to be embarrassed by the guy, but they're not. So, You know, my dear colleague, the late Jim Perry, wrote a wonderful book one time on the very worst generals of all times. And if you count Trump as a commander in chief, uh, you know, you'd certainly have to have a, uh, you know, added chapter for Trump because he's probably he's probably worse than all the others. But combined, 
Um, James, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito <laughs> is to arrogance, I guess what, I don't know, Elton, uh, Elon Musk is to wealth. He's the king of arrogance. ProPublica disclosed that he accepted a private jet from hedge fund billionaire, a private jet ride from hedge fund billionaire Paul Singer, estimated to cost about 100 grand for a round trip ticket to Alaska for a big fishing expedition. A few other big conservatives were there too, uh, lodgings, meals, and everything. ProPublica asked Alito, they said, here's what we have, give us a response. He said, no, I refuse to answer. Instead, he penned an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal attacking the ProPublica piece before it ran. He attacked it before it ran. And in a masterpiece of disingenuous arrogance, he said he only took the ride in the plane because there was, there was a spare seat. Uh, you know, basically someone said, hey, guess what? There's a spare seat on Paul Singer's jet to Alaska. You know, Sam, why don't you see if you can get on that if they have room for you? And if he had flown commercially, he explained, James, that it would have cost the taxpayers money for a U.S. marshal security buying those tickets. Now, I don't know what the U.S. Marshals did. Did they ride on the Singer plane? There was only one seat, so maybe they were in steerage. I'm not sure. And he said he didn't know Singer had any cases before the Supreme Court. In fact, he had several, including one big one in which Alito sided with him. And Alito said, well, the brief came from his company uh, organization uh, without his name on it. That's like saying if politics war room charged somebody with something, uh, uh, the target said, I had no idea that involved James Carville. Sure, Sam. Finally, he said he didn't report these sizable gifts. Travel estimated as much as 100 grand because it was personal hospitality that didn't have to be reported. Personal hospitality. Anybody else in the federal government, members of Congress, members of the lower judiciary, the executive branch, uh, would have... Um, violated the law, the clear law, if they had done that. You know, the Supreme Court will and should be a big issue in 2024. It's not the critics that have politicized the high court. It's the Alitos. Well, I, I, I mean, that was a good job of... He doesn't give a shit. No, he okay? doesn't. He's a guy that, you know, said... In the bottom way, does anybody really not think he was the one who leaked... The Dobbs decision? Of course not. And he does not care. He's in this evidence by this. And I mean, the, the answer that there was an empty seat on the plane is, is like it's it's glorious. It's so goddamn. It's <laughs> such a cramming stop and think about it. Guess what, Sam? That. There may be a spare seat. You think you could beg him, ask him? <laughs> right. I. I, 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 I in. It, it, it's, it's jaw-dropping, but I don't understand. So Congress, of course, can pass ethics legislation that affects the White House, a separate branch of government, right? I, I would like to know, and maybe we'll ask some of our, our lawyer friends, can they pass ethics? Can they make funding the Supreme Court contingent on a code of ethics? Now, I'm sure the Supreme Court would rule that you can't do that because we're a separate branch of government, I assume. But we all have some, in a, in a country, you know, a nation of laws or whatever you want to say, there's some national interest in people having some modicum of trust in the Supreme Court, which obviously 
hundreds of millions Americans think it's like as corrupt as it can be. I, mean, I don't know if anybody thinks to actually read the law and try to apply it, but maybe some do. But it, it, it it's, 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 it's been, a, it's destroyed one of the great, you know, institutions in the country. And Alito, you think a guy that age would have some reputational concerns? I don't think he gives a shit. I really don't. No, he lives in his own little bubble uh, of people who uh, say, Sam, let me tell you how great you are. We can set up old Leonard Leo, the uh, the ever president Leonard Leo was 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 in the center of all this. Of course, they got a billion and a half dollars, a billion and a half. That that's correct. That's what the whatever they call it, the, his operation. It's but, not the Federalist Society, no, but that's yeah, what it is. It's part of it. Is. Yeah, it's part of yeah. the same thing. You don't right? think they gave it for charitable purposes, James, for, oh, you know, to try to... Dedicated you know. to the rule of law in the United States. Yeah. 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 But, but what's really stunning is, you know, I guess arrogant is, is a good word that you use. They just don't care. Yep. And, and they don't care what the public thinks. Is that just about a fact? Well, it was an empty seat, and she, I didn't want to go that... You know, it'd be, it wouldn't be good to have a, a, a G5 go to, from Dulles to Anchorage with an empty seat. So I have my civic duty to go on there. That's uh, like, I, it, it, it's it, it's really stunning. I know who Paul Singer is because I've done a lot of work in Argentina and they got a very fav- favorable ruling on, on this Argentine bonds case that, that he had bought a whole lot of and, it's, it's just, it's, Alito ruled in his favor in that case. Of course he did. Of course he did. There were a hundred stories about Paul Singer and Argentine bonds. Right. But Alito yeah. didn't have, had no idea. No, about no idea. You know, we'll close this out. But I still I hope someday some sleuth out there can tell me what happened to those U.S. marshals that Alito said would have had the taxpayers would pick up their tab if he had flown commercially. I, I, did they go out commercially and the tab was still picked up? Did they fly on Singer's plane? Because, James, there's only one seat left. So I don't know what happened, but maybe some sleuth out there can get the answer to us. <laughs> this guy, like, I, it, 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 it's just stunning how little that they care about how the guy just can't, can't got to be like, I don't care about my reputation. I don't care about reputation of the Supreme Court. I got a lifetime appointment. Yep. Fuck it. I don't That's know. It. I, I don't know. I can't. I don't, I, by the way, what is John Roberts? I wonder what, I'd love to know internally what, they, what they're thinking or, or not thinking. I have no idea. Yeah, Did I don't they either. even mention something? Sam. Hadn't said a word. Hadn't said, said a word. word. Nope. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll keep at this one. You know. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
James, this is really an unusually complicated time in American politics. And who better to sort it out than America's premier political reporter and analyst, the Atlantic's great Ron Brownstein? Ron, politics is a zero-sum game. One side wins, the other loses. But today, talking at least to some, I think, of the smarter mainstream analysts from both parties, a few elected officials, strategists, both sides are kind of despondent, at least worried. Democrats fear the age factor with Biden. He could take down three or four senators. Republicans worry that a Trump party is a long-term loser. Who has the most to fear? Wow. Um, yeah, I think your basic construct there is right, Al. I mean, there is a lot of uh, despair, isn't too strong a word, on on both parties about where where things stand for 2024. In the long run, I think the Trump vision is more of a dead end for Republicans than uh, kind of the problem that Democrats face with concerns about Biden. But in the near term, uh, you're talking about two likely nominees who are incredibly weak in their in, in public perceptions. Biden may have more room to change it between now and then in terms of potentially the economy getting better and giving him uh, some lift. But I think and, and I and I maybe you were alluding to this. I have been struck. Uh, by how many Democratic strategists and pollsters that I talk to who are surprised and disheartened by the durability of concern about his age, that they just have not been able to make a dent in that. And if anything, it seems to be it seems to be getting worse. And on the other side, I don't know a serious Republican strat mainstream strategist outside of those who work for Trump himself who think he can win a general election short of a complete elect, uh, uh, economic collapse. I think that's, you know, very insightful. Of course, I would say about Biden, there, there is probably just as great a chance there would be an economic downturn as an economic yeah. uh, rise. So, you know, I predicted for months the cumulative effect on all this with Trump, indictment scandals, his own people turning on him, would gradually erode his support. Uh, I'm getting a little shaky on that right right now, uh, Ron. Now, if we see a couple more indictments, new revelations, is he just the unshakable Teflon Don in the Republican Party? No, I don't. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily uh, infinite. But the the construct of the race, as it's being framed by these indictments, and and as other Republicans are echoing his claims, uh, makes it very tough for them to overcome them. First. It's important to differentiate between what we are seeing in the Republican primary and beyond it, right? I mean, if you look at the polling, and again, a CNN poll out, uh, you know, this week, uh, it's, you know, outside of the Republican coalition, voters are reacting the way you would expect them to react to someone facing multiple criminal indictments in that they're not really happy about it. And they do not exactly think it is a calling card to become president again. I mean, in the CNN polling that came out, this week, I mean, the share of voters uh, outside the Republican coalition who say that Trump acted illegally, that the indictments are legitimate, that he endangered national security, uh, they are all extremely high among all the groups Democrats need to win in a general election. So I think they're, you know, whether we're talking about young people, people of color, college educated whites, or independents. Uh, so I think there's no question that this is 
further diminishing Trump as a general election candidate. It's not cratering his support. It's not having a dramatic effect. But he was 7 million votes short last time. And I think the evidence is very high that his uh, behavior and these indictments uh, is further lowering his ceiling, at least somewhat. Inside the Republican Party, though, it's a very different story. And in part because almost every other Republican leader is reinforcing the framing that he is creating around yep. the around the race that that this is not a this is not a matter of his behavior not a matter that he was reckless uh, or endangering national security the way even some of his former cabinet officers have said but it's a but it's a question of weaponized uh, justice uh, you know going the deep state going after him and I think as long as they basically accept that construct yes it is very hard to overcome the size you, of the you know on that in that vein Ron I was I was really interested in a recent piece you wrote in which you cited Whit Ayers I, I think there's no better Republican pollster I have enormous respect for him he's very insightful but he noted that among Republicans 10 percent are anti-Trump 35 yeah. percent are MAGA and about half are sort of in, in between maybe a little soft Trump a persuadable. But but in, in that Republican contest next year with four or five opponents, maybe seven or eight, 35 percent is golden. They're winner yeah. take all states. If that 35 percent can't be shaken, Trump can't be beaten. Yeah, well, Trump was only winning 40 percent. As you might recall, Al, Trump did not get to 50 percent of the vote in any state right. uh, in 2016 until New York in late April when he had effectively clinched the nomination. At the point he had effectively clinched the nomination, his total share of the vote was around 40 percent. Um, and I think Trump's ceiling is a little higher now. I'm sorry, his floor is a little higher in the Republican primary than it was uh, then. You know, Witt made a point, I thought, that was really critical to, un to me to understanding how this is playing out in the Republican Party. You know, he talked about that roughly half of the electorate that's maybe Trump, uh, Republican electorate that's maybe Trump or sometimes Trump. And he noted that they, many of them were the sort of Republicans who took a lot of grief from people around them for supporting Donald Trump. They, they're more college educated, more right. suburban, uh, et cetera. And he said for them to acknowledge now that anything he has done makes him unfit to be president kind of retroactively calls into question their judgment to begin with and forces them to kind of concede that all those people that they had to stand up against in their lives, and he said spouses, kids, neighbors, siblings, um, may have had a point. They may have been right. So there is uh, not only a political, but a kind of psychological imperative that encourages the Republican base to rally, uh, even this kind of maybe Trump side, to rally around him when he is under attack. Now, against that, you know, at some, the question is, at some point, does all of the very clear evidence that this is hurting him beyond the GOP coalition, does that can will anyone find a way to make that relevant to Republican primary voters to say, in effect, whatever you think about Donald Trump, whatever you think about the policies that he implemented as president or he's promising again in 2024, he's not going to be able to deliver on those promises because he's not going to be able to win. Uh, I, no one has been willing to really say that. Uh, so explicitly, apart from, you know, maybe Chris Christie, Chris Christie, um, and, uh, but. And, and it's not clear that even that wins. I, I, I love James' opinions on this. And most, most people who do this for a living say that electability doesn't work as an argument in primaries. And in fact, polls show that 
Republicans consider now Trump the most electable. But at some point, uh, you know, if you have Bill Barr and Mark Esper and John Bolton and even Mike Pompeo to some extent out there saying, look, this was reckless behavior. We don't this is not something this is not someone we should put back in the Oval Office. If all of them can say it, is it really the case that no Republican presidential candidate? Well, I, I wrote and I believe that all of his national top national security advisors leave out Barr and all the others. But Jim Mattis, John Kelly yeah. ought to put out something saying not they oppose him, not they don't want him back. But he is an existential threat to American security, which is what they believe. Uh, and I think a collective statement, I don't know if it makes any difference. It might be more effective than anything else. So uh, we'll see. You know, if he is the nominee, especially if he's the nominee, I think there will be serious questions about whether they 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 would do something like that. And, you know, and look, we saw, I mean, the whole Bolton thing where, you know, he was silent during the impeachment and then, you know, loud after. Um, they ought to do it sooner rather than rather than later. But, but, yeah. but let me just turn to one more thing before we go to James. And yeah. that's what he's doing to the Republican Party. I look at states like Wisconsin and Michigan, I'll probably throw in Arizona. The Trumpification of the GOP is a disaster. <clears throat> there was a piece in the Washington Post the other day on the Michigan Party. And I thought, yes. my God, my dear friend, the late Bob Teeter, the great Michigan Republican strategist, yeah. is turning over in his grave. It's the crazy MAGAs against the extremely crazy MAGAs. I, I, I mean, they can't, I don't think they can compete in Michigan uh, and, and, and Wisconsin and Arizona if the crazies continue to dominate, Ron. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you know, Trump uh, uh, spur, ha, spurred in 2016 and has continued to spur since 2016 uh, an improvement in Republican vote among primarily among blue collar whites, to some extent among conservative uh, Hispanics and greater turnout among uh, particularly the, the, the blue collar whites. But he generated an even larger backlash that has now been intensified among the same groups that didn't like Trump has been intensified by the, the Supreme Court ruling on abortion. And so you have a sorting that has gone on in uh, in particular Michigan, Pennsylvania, and to a somewhat lesser, but 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 along the same trajectory, Wisconsin, in which, you know, Democrats have now established a level of advantage in white collar suburbs that I do not think Republicans can overcome in Michigan and Pennsylvania, and probably not in Wisconsin. I mean, you know, Dane County, which is which is Madison, is now producing margins for Democrats that are as big as Milwaukee, which is 40% larger. I mean, look at what's happening in the suburbs of Philadelphia, the suburbs of Detroit, Grand Rapids, yeah. uh, you know, Maricopa, uh, Biden becoming the first Democrat to win Maricopa since 1948, uh, which is Phoenix. Uh, in all of these places, Trump has triggered a reaction uh, that I think on balance have moved the state, as you point out, further away from Republicans since 2016. I mean, yeah, Mike, Mike Gallagher, the strongest Senate candidate in Wisconsin, decided not to run. Uh, you know, 200,000 vote margin right. in the state Supreme Court election right. in Wisconsin this spring that I was out for. I, you know, that's inconceivable. I mean, Biden won by 20,000 votes the first. I mean, you look at the trajectory, right? Evers yeah. won, I think, by 30,000, the Democratic governor in 2018. Biden won by 20,000 in 2020. But then Evers won by 90,000 and 22, and they won this, uh, the uh, state Supreme Court race by 200,000. It's not clear to me that a Trumpified Republican Party, particularly with the issue of abortion uh, front and center, can win 
even Wisconsin. Uh, I think maybe Georgia could go back to Republicans in, in 24 and conceivably even Arizona, though less likely. But as long as they hold the 20 states that have voted Democratic in each election since 08, plus Wisconsin, Michigan and Pennsylvania, uh, that gets them over 270. And and so, you know, uh, maybe against a DeSantis with the age contrast, you could peel away Wisconsin. But I think your basic your basic construct is right that that the that the sorting that this has that Trump has produced has left Republicans in a weaker position, at least in those Rust Belt states, and certainly in Arizona as well. You, you and James can share some observations about the Democrats, among other things. James Carville. So, Ron, one of my favorite quotes in history, I think, is, 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 is insightful and applies to politics, is General Sherman instead of General Grant. He says, I know a lot more than General Grant does. I know about logistics. I know more about mm. tactics. I know more about strategy. I'm just a lot smarter than him. The way he beats me every time, he don't give a damn about the enemy, and the enemy scares the hell out of me. Mm. And I, I, I think that's just such an important like life lesson. Is look, so when I look at the Democratic Party. That that two things that worry me and strike me. First, we've had shitty black turnout, particularly in 2022. I mean, mm. shitty black turnout, mm. not poor. Yeah. Historically bad. And also Biden's approval, according to the Harvard poll, which I think is actually a pretty good poll. I don't I think that they, they, they're OK. His approval among under 30 is 32 percent. Yeah. I, I mean, it, 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 the, in order for the Democrats to have a good year, we need a robust black turnout and we need a robust at least match our numbers. And we didn't we didn't come close to it, 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 you, you talk about Wisconsin and yes. we killed. I mean, Ron, Chris Priebus told me when he when he saw Dane County, he said, Ron Johnson's done. Yeah. And we got a shitty turnout in Milwaukee. Yep. All right. And I, I can't get anybody to focus on this. And I, I talked to other consultants about it. I don't know if people think it's racist to talk about Poor black turnout. Of course, it's not. It's it, you just cannot win these races in places like Georgia, even in Wisconsin. It, in, any same kind of turnout would have been fine. And do you know of any effort in the party? You know, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, because it, 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 it's 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 the, the elephant in the room. Yeah. Let, well, let's break down the, the two pieces. I think on on the black turnout, there are certainly Democratic strategists and operatives who focus on the black community who are worried uh, and, and are expressing uh, concern. Um, you know, uh, the uh, the the overriding one of the scariest numbers for Democrats, I think, is how many people in polls say they can't point to anything the Biden administration has done to make their life better. Uh, you know, despite a lot of things that they have done. I mean, they they, they have genuine legislative achievements. I think he's been a surprisingly successful uh, legislative president. Um, but you, you get that response in polls and black voters are certainly not immune to that. I mean, you know, uh, the, the people that hit strategies, which is a which is a Democratic firm that focuses on younger uh, people of color, uh, you know, they will talk about how many uh, black voters in polls will will say that their life is not better 
under Biden than it was under Trump. And in some cases, they will say that their economic situation was better because of inflation. So the mechanics of turnout are obviously important. But, you know, the Wisconsin Democratic Party is a really good party. Mechanics can only take you so far. Ultimately, you need fuel in the engine, which is, uh, you know, a desire to come out and vote. Now, whether we're talking about black voters or young voters, you know, Democrats, I think, by and large, are expecting Trump, not Biden, to provide the fuel. Right, James? I mean, that you know, the- uh, you know, Ben Wickler's a friend of mine. He's a friend of the show. And they tried everything in that yeah. Supreme Court race to get black turnout up. And it, it wasn't it didn't you know, he'll be the first to tell you it, 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 it didn't. And they tried person to person. They, they tried everything. So and, 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 and the answer might be that that race turned on abortion access, which may, you know, and certainly the black community is very heavily pro-choice, but it may be less of a galvanizing, motivating, get off your couch, go vote issue for people who feel that their material daily concerns are not being met or are emphasized as much. And that is a problem, you know, and and look, Biden, you know, Biden basically wants to steer in that direction. When, when you think about what he wants to talk about primarily are delivering kitchen table economic benefits to working families, whether it's lower drug prices or fighting junk fees or protecting Social Security, Medicare or creating more manufacturing jobs. So he has a message that is actually tailored to where the center of gravity might be in the black community. But it's a question, you know, in his case, it, it kind of goes to this over your, your other point about his low approval rating uh, among among young people. You know, how much person, how much um, desire or motivation do people feel to come out to vote for Biden as opposed to coming out to vote against Trump? Let, let me point out something. In democracy, I mean, we've done a lot yeah. of polling. All right. So we did a swing state poll here. I just cut about three weeks ago. And it was 45-45. All right. Then mm-hmm. we said, let, let, let us read you some of the things that Joe Biden's accomplished by president. President, you know, mm-hmm. infrastructure bill, the, the job mm-hmm. creation, you know, the, the litany of like five things. It moved one point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, it, what, what worries me is and I've, I've seen this before, when people make up their mind, in 92, we were always scared people were just going to say it's just too much around Clinton. And, and they would defend him in focus groups. Well, he's kind of young, but he's got some talent. I mean, they, they just wanted to change, all right? That, 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 you could just have, have a sense that was happening in the country. And it... it, it, it it's disturbing that it's tied mm-hmm. and you can't move it uh, with numbers. But, uh, and you know, we talk about protecting democracy and, it, and it's actually a big, a much bigger issue than I thought. It really pulls up there. I mean, it's yeah. not that people are aware of this, but one of the elements of democracy is two thirds of the country does not want a Trump-Biden rematch. Mm-hmm. It's just, democracy. we're not producing anywhere close to the result that the public wants. That's true. And if we go through this, people are going to lose faith in democracy if it keeps putting in their mind an anti-democratic result. Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, I mean, I think um, 
it's entirely possible that if it's Trump Biden, that we will not match the turnout of 2020, right? I mean, that you could see lower turnout uh, uh, really across the board uh, than we had uh, last time. Um, but I think the, the main reason Democrats are, uh, Democrats are definitely, as you know, probably better than I, are nervous about the, uh, the, the, the inability to kind of extract Biden's numbers from the, the seabed, you know, to, to kind of pull them up and, and the persistence of the very large majorities that say they think he's too old uh, to serve another term. Um, having said that, the reason they're not jumping out of windows uh, is because of what happened in 2022, which is that, you know, Biden's approval rating was at a level in swing states and indeed in the national exit polls that usually uh, foreshadow major losses for the party holding the White House. Uh, and it didn't happen. And it didn't happen because an historically high share of people who said they somewhat disapproved of Biden or were somewhat disenchanted with the economy voted for Democrats anyway because they considered the Republican alternative unacceptable. And that's clearly the model that Democratic strategists think will apply if it's Trump. You know, Trump was 7 million votes last, short last time. And it's hard to see what has happened since Election Day in 2020, whether it's January 6th or multiple indictments or the fact that we don't talk about enough that the biggest change in the electorate is that it's going to be five points more uh, composed of Gen Z, but probably 8 million more Gen Zers will be voting. I mean, none of the things that have happened since 20 um, point you toward obvious places for Trump to grow his support, which wasn't enough last time. And it would seem the bigger risk to Democrats is not that there will be some kind of increase in Trump's vote, but that either there will be a lack of turnout linked to lack of enthusiasm about Biden or, as in 16, third party choices that splinter what I think is a pretty consistently anti-Trump majority uh, in the uh in the country. I mean, it's just it's just hard to say if I asked you what has happened since 20 that would allow Trump to expand his support. It's, it's kind of hard to point to maybe some voters who feel like he would have done better with the economy. Uh, but I think the evidence of 22 was that, Demo you know, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, even Arizona, 75 to 80 percent of voters were saying the economy was in bad shape. And Democrats won governorships in all of those states anyway, because they uh, abortion, democracy, and Trumpist alternatives. And I think that's the model that Democrats are hoping will apply in 24 if it's Trump. If it's not Trump, it could be much more complicated. Well, let me point out something that kind of buttresses the case. We've won every freaking election since 2022. I mean, we mm -hmm. won in Jacksonville, one in Pennsylvania, yeah. one in Wisconsin, even Colorado Springs for the first time. It's an independent, but it was for all intents and purposes, the guy strikes me as, as, as being a Democrat. I mean, we're winning elections. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, now, you say, and the 2022 result was staggeringly good for Democrats. Yeah. Given direction yeah, of country. Especially given Biden's approval group. and attitude. Yeah, and direction, and direction country. I mean, it, yeah. was, it, it, it was, you know, that, that was a big bite. But uh, so... There is this queasiness among Democrats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Bobby Kennedy is going to get a lot of votes. I'm mm -hmm. sorry. He's going to get a lot of votes in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And the Biden people are, you know, let's, let's just 
play in inside politics here. If you were Biden, would you com- compete in New Hampshire? Would try to have a write-in campaign? Would you do anything, or would you just sit there and say we're just not going to recognize anything to South Carolina and just get the living crap beat out of us? Because that's what's going to happen. I mean, oh, I mean they'll, they'll get over fifty-five, but that that is, that is over my pay grade. I. I think they have to stick, you know, dance with the one that they, I mean, they're the ones who changed the calendar and it's kind of hard for them to go back on it now, but the risks are, you know, are real. I mean, look, I mean, we are seeing, as you know, in polling consistently a a significant percentage of Democrats say they do not want Biden to run again. And presumably that's going to have an expression. I mean, that's, that's going to be expressed in the primaries at some point, you know, now whether, you know, separate from Biden running a campaign, whether that, you know, uh, institutions favorable to him can point out how RFK Jr., despite his name, really has more in common with Elon Musk and, you know, Steve Bannon than he does with, uh, you know, the the mainstream Democratic Party. Uh, uh, You know, I I could imagine that happening uh, to to suppress his vote. But, you know, it's, you know, you, you can't, you can't, these things, bubble to the surface somehow if if you know, almost half of democrats in a number of polls sometimes more than half i think but generally yeah. nearly half say they don't want biden to run again somehow some way that's going to be expressed bobby kennedy is just a stand down it doesn't matter again of course he had heroin issues he's had every kind of issue that you can have and he's but that it that it, no more voting for him than they were voting for gene mccarthy in 1968 mm-hmm. I mean, what his record was, what he was about. Although, well, well, at least in McCarthy's case, there was, you know, there was Vietnam and right. the, exactly, the yeah. register of protest. Right. They were voting against uh, against Lyndon Johnson and against the war. You know, and, 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 and to some extent, you know, for, for the problem for Biden is, as you say, I mean, he has I, he has certainly had more success at passing legislation than I believe. I, I think everyone would agree with that. And totally. he has he will have specific things that he can put in a lot of mo- put a lot of money in the tiny handful of swing states that we're talking about, maybe as few as six or seven, possibly even three or four that are genu- genuinely at play. I mean, there are going to be a lot of factory openings, senior saving on insulin and drug prices, you know, um, uh, uh, and and other you know other point bridges being built. Blue collar jobs coming back. That Clint Eastwood ad for Chrysler in 2012. We'll be seeing versions of that all over. You know, factory floors with lots of sparks flying, sort of like the beginning of Peaky Blinders or something. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, you could imagine a just a concentrated dose of that in the places that matter having some effect. But to a considerable extent, his problem is people just seeing him physically as he kind of gets through his day as president and saying, wow, you know, is it really possible for someone at this advanced age to handle uh, all of these responsibilities? Or, or even short of that, you know, is there someone on the Democratic side, is there someone more inspiring who, you know, I can feel more connected to? He was never a great communicator. He wasn't a great communicator when he was 40, you know, so why would he be a great communicator uh, when he's 80? His strengths are, are apparent as president, but they are not always apparent to the to the way the public uh, sees him. So it's not clear what will lift this fog. I mean, I, I think, that, you know, a lot of people wondered, OK, is it like Reagan, Clinton and Obama? 
The economy was weak in the first half of their presidency. Their approval rating was bad. The party suffered in the midterm. Then as the economy improved, they improved. Do we think, do you guys think that's a given? That if economic attitudes improve, Biden's approval rating will go up five points, six points. I don't think think there's much much of a case that economic conditions are going to improve. The best case is that they stay the same uh, Mm -hmm. and don't get worse. If they do get worse, it's short term. Ron, let me just go. I... I, you know a lot more than, than I do. You're the best political reporter in America. I, I literally mean that. And I'm not going to disagree with you, but I think the 22 comparison is a little bit off. In 22, there were the crazy Republicans, as Trump might be, but you had some great Democratic candidates, Josh Shapiro, mm-hmm. Gretchen Whitmer, Raphael Warnock, who won. Biden is not a great candidate. I think we all can agree on that. And I think you wrote a couple months ago, yeah, there's concern among Democrats, but there's certainly no panic. We might not be a panic, but just talking to probably one-tenth the number of people you talk to, man, it's awful close to panic. At yeah, it's this concern. Time. It's real concern. And yeah. I want to ask you, and, and the possibility of some serious candidate getting in was less than 10%, uh-huh. you know, a couple months ago. I, I think it's now 20 to 30. I mean, it's still unlikely. Wow. But when could a Whitmer, a Newsom, a Cooper get in and still mount a formidable campaign? Wow. Um, I have a hard time seeing any of them getting in. I mean, you know, the the as Kennedy showed in 1980, it can be, you know, while you can get this, I think, as we were saying, you it's inevitable, you know, inexorable that when you have this many people in the party who want another choice, that's going to be reflected in some way. But going from that kind of protest statement to actually unseating the sitting president is, you know, that's a big gulf, Al, as you know. You covered that yeah. in the race. Well, um, I said 20 to 30, so that means 70 to 80 it won't happen. But, yeah. But, um, but if I, 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 just, I just have a hard time imagining how anyone short of a dramatic health incident or something that causes a further spike in concern about Biden's capacity to do the job, I have a hard time imagining anyone seeing a benefit in challenging him now, uh, unless it would be so clear that he could not win that you would be saving the country from Trump. And then, you know, out of that group, Newsom's the only one I could imagine possibly making that plunge. I can't see Whitmer doing that uh, or Cooper. Um, And I, I have a hard time imagining even him unless, again, something happens that further elevates the concern uh, about Biden's uh, capacity to, uh, you know, convince voters he can do this for four more years. Um, uh, you know, and, and look, I mean, like, I guess you would have to say, uh, there, 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 there's not like a, um, conventional trajectory of slow, steady building that would get you to beating Biden. It would have to be some kind of exogenous event like that, that where, where the, the whole playing field has changed because, uh, doubts, I think doubts about his physical capacity, you know, dramatically increase uh, for some reason. But short of that, I have a hard time seeing why anyone would would, con- you know, again, Democrat, the Democratic Party. And, and as we've seen, a substantial portion of independents view Trump understandably as an existential threat to the future of American democracy. Yep. The, the, the thought that you would run and weaken Biden and thus make it easier for Trump to destroy American democracy 
I think is a really big, big burden for any potential Democratic candidate to, to lug into the race. I mean, there'll be a lot of voices saying right away, this is crazy. We need to be focused on, you know, the wolf is at the door, barbarians are at the gate, whatever the analogy you want. We need to be focused on this anti-democratic threat, and this is no time to for the self-indulgence of a challenge. As I said, if something happens that causes Democrats to be even more concerned than they are about Biden's ability to win, uh, that that would change that. But 22, I think, is a you know does limit that. It is kind of a circuit breaker. Biden was in a weak position, and they did do much better than expected, and that was really about Trump and abortion, democracy, and the Republican alternative. Well, I, you know, I think Biden isn't even in a weaker position, but, but let me turn it around. Um, in 1995, Clinton was running about even with Bob Dole. And I yeah. talked to Peter Hart, the great Democratic pollster, about that election. He said, what happened in the next year, 17 months, if you will, was Newt Gingrich. He mm-hmm. said, Newt Gingrich overreached so much he gave Clinton a foil. And Clinton used that very effectively and beat Bob Dole very decisively in 1996. Could Kevin McCarthy and Jim Jordan play that same role as a foil for Biden this time? Sure, but I don't think he needs to go down that one level because unlike Bob Dole, Trump or DeSantis provides plenty of foil on their own. I mean, well, Trump the is there as a constant, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the constant same dynamic. Tied I mean, it is. I mean, Clinton went ahead in, as James knows, uh, you know, went ahead in, in the Gallup poll of Dole during the government shutdown in January of 96 and never trailed. You know, his approval mm-hmm. went over 50. He went ahead of Dole never trailed again. They also spent a lot of money early on defining Dole, which is something that Biden doesn't seem to be doing. Um, and in fact, it is kind of striking. Again, you know, uh, Biden's directive to the Democratic Party has been not to focus on Trump's legal indictments and challenges. Uh, and, and so we've had this kind of one-sided communication out there with Republicans saying this is weaponized and unfair and no real pushback from Democrats in Congress or former national security officials. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think, you know, Democrats are assuming, the, the Biden White House is assuming we govern, they're in chaos, that's a good contrast. But there is some evidence from history that working to define your opponent early on uh, is also a useful strategy. Maybe they don't want to do anything that would reduce the odds of Trump winning the nomination. Yeah. Let me ask one more and then let the two best political minds in American politics, Carville and Brownstein, uh, go at it. Uh, Among your many fascinating pieces, about a year ago, you in a conversation with Michael Pat Horzer, Michael Pat Horzer, a top political analyst for labor and progressive call, you talked about the great diversions, really two Americas. It didn't begin under Trump, but it was vastly accelerated, accelerated. Uh, there really is little prospect for any national cohesion in the foreseeable future, no matter what the outcome in 2024, is there? I agree. I mean, I think that, there. look, I mean, what we are seeing is a systematic drive, I believe, by the red states to build a nation within a nation that is operating very much by its own set of rules that reflects the cultural and social values and grievances of the predominantly white, predominantly non-urban, predominantly Christian conservative coalitions that now run these states. And, you know, the general trend in American life from the 60s until the 2010s, at least, was uh, what was called the rights revolution. We nationalized more rights, uh, contraception, ending state-sponsored segregation, 
uh, abortion, obviously, same-sex marriage, uh, you know, striking down the laws, criminalizing uh, same-sex relationships. Um, the, the general trend was that we nationalize more rights and reduce the freedom of the states to impinge on those rights. And now we are watching a remarkably broad, deep, and fast uh, effort in the red states to reverse that and to write their own rules on voting, on abortion, on classroom censorship, on book bans, on all sorts of LGBTQ issues. Um, and the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress have been intermittently focused on how to push back against this. I mean, obviously, the House uh, under Democratic control did pass legislation restoring a national floor of abortion rights restoring a, a national uh, floor of LGBTQ rights. Um, but by and large, the fight against this kind of separation is happening in the courts and the end of the line. You know, we did see the, the, the ruling against the Arkansas uh, law pro prohibiting gender affirming care for minors. And there are like comparable lawsuits on pretty much everything that I mentioned uh, that's happening in the red states. But the end of the line on all of those cases are the six Republican appointees on the Supreme Court. And I think most legal analysts are skeptical. They are going to really prevent the red states from writing their own rules on all of these fronts uh, in, many, in many cases. So even if Democrats get unified control of government, the question of whether you can prevent this separation uh, is very much an open one. I mean, you certainly would have to end the filibuster uh, to do it. And then even if you do, you know, if, 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 let's say you ended the filibuster to uh, pass a national law restoring abortion rights in all 50 states. Um, would that, I mean, obviously, you see legal challenges to that. And um, uh, would the Supreme Court allow that to stand? The, the bottom line is, I think what we are seeing is a uh, this and, 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 and as all of this has been happening, blue states have, have lately become more aggressive about trying to define their own model. Um, and I think we are seeing a widening separation. I think it's obviously not as severe on any single issue as segregation was, but it involves more states and it involves more issues. I think you have to go back to the period before the Civil War to see as broad and deep a fundamental divergence among the states. And it does call into question I think the fundamental cohesion uh, of the country, and 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 of course, in the red states, I would just add that you're also seeing, even as they are kind of imposing this agenda, they are systematically passing laws overriding the contrary preferences of their biggest blue metros, and they are going to court en masse repeatedly to prevent Biden from establishing national policies that they disagree with. So, yeah, we are in for a we are in for a rocky and I think fundamentally centrifugal period of American history over the coming years. James. So, so Ron, I, I'm a contrarian. I think there's some flawed assumptions here. First is the assumption that if someone were to challenge Biden, and I, I, mm -hmm. let's just say Gretchen Whitman, I've no idea, but just use that name. That, that could potentially weaken the party and allow Trump to win. The truth of the matter is the only Democrat that Trump could possibly beat is Joe Biden. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm serious. That, 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 I, I said that Biden and Trump are like, you know, two 89-year-old Jews that are married to each other and hate each other, but they're <laughs> codependent on each other. One can't live without the other one, all right? 
I could have said Italians or anything yeah. else. Sorry, it doesn't matter. It's not what we put here. I'm just picturing, and, I'm, I'm and, picturing and, Upper West Side apartment, actually. The, right, the analogy works, yes. In, 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 or Boca Raton. If I were, <laughs> yeah. if I, if I, do, I do not. Okay, if I were, if, let's just assume that Gretchen Whitmer wants to be president. All right, I assume that's the case. I assume most politicians want to be president. The point I'd make to you, you have a much better chance in 2024 than you would in 2028. Mm. Why do I say that? It's all this freaking talent that's there. Then you're going to have the West Moors, the Josh Shapiro's of the world, the Warnock's of the world. I mean, the, 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 there's just giant myth. And it's a real myth that, you know, we've got to have Biden because we've got no one else. That's just not remotely the case. There's more current talent in the Democratic Party than any time I can remember in my lifetime. Yeah, look, I, first of all, I think listeners would rather hear your thoughts on challenging Biden than mine. And I would, I would agree with you that there are plenty of alternatives that would probably be stronger in a general election. The challenge is getting there. I mean, the challenge is getting there. And, you, you know, I, I guess I don't have a hard time envisioning someone being able to mount a serious challenge if they chose to run. I have a hard time figuring out how they would actually get over the top and beat him. And that's that's the you know, that's kind of the worst they, they, case scenario they, they would where he's win weakened, the New Hampshire primary. The nominee. They would win the New Hampshire primary. All right. That, that mm-hmm. just would be a fact. They would go to New Hampshire. All of the press would be there. Everybody would be there. They would run. The first rally they had in Des Moines, they'd draw 15,000 people. I, I, I mean, when... It, I, I, hey, I... Look, they, they, I they, no, no one may want this, but for, the, the Democrats could get 54%. And remember, the Senate map is horrific. Yeah, I got to yeah. repeat that. It, it's not bad, okay? That's not the right word. It's... You know, Ohio, West Virginia, Montana, places like that. All right. Our best pickup chance is probably Texas. All right. Mm-hmm. At one vote, that, that's our best pickup yeah. chance is Texas. And, you know, yes, if, if it's Biden and it's Trump and it's 3.6% unemployment, Biden will, in all likelihood, win. That's a lot of assumptions that you're making for October, November of 2024. Yeah, well, look, first of all, I think Al and I, as interesting wretches, will both agree that the news in this podcast is what you're saying about this much more than anything I'm saying about this. And this is, I think, important and significant. (laughs) Um, And I basically agree with you that, you know, there would be a constituency here and that that it is no longer true as it was in 2020 you know, where, where Biden could plausibly argue that he was the only person on that stage who realistically could beat Trump. I agree with you. There may be others now. Uh, in particular, I think Whitmer could be an extremely effective candidate in a general election if Democrats could get to her. Um, but the process of getting there is really, you know, hand to hand combat through a thorn bush. Um, and whether either Biden or the challenger would emerge from the primaries, you know, in position to carry the fight in a general election, I think is, 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 you know, is, is unclear, but look, I mean, the fact that you're saying this 
at, you know, I mean, what, what is, is important because I think, you know, what I've heard more, James, honestly, is kind of a fatalism, right? I mean, it's like Biden, you know, the public, you know, the public is not warming to Biden. We're not sure that they are going to get warmer to Biden. We're not freaking out because we did okay in 22 and we still believe, as you said, that he will beat Trump. But if it's DeSantis, boy, that could be complicated just on the age grounds alone. Not that he's guaranteed to lose because largely because of abortion, but um, uh, that it could be could be really complicated. I've not heard many people that I've talked to at least go the next step and say, therefore, somebody has to get in. It's more like, therefore, we got to figure out a way to make this work. But if you're hearing more people say somebody has to get in, you know, in the end, you still need a horse. You still need someone who's willing to take that leap. Um, and it is a big leap. It's a, well, I, look, I, I I don't know, but if 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 somebody was ambitious, uh, your, your chances in twenty twenty eight. Look, electability won for Biden in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Don't kid yourself. As soon as he won South Carolina, it was over. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew it on election night, and and all of a sudden, you know, the the. Washington, D.C. suburbs in Virginia switched overnight yep. because yep. of shit. He, he can win. Let's end this thing right now. There was no more appetite for anybody else in that race after South Carolina. I, I, this, this is a different set of circumstances. Look, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't hear serious talk of someone that that is telling people they might challenge them. The president, I'm talking about a series of, you know, Whitmer, you know, Roy Cooper, Pritzker, Gavin Newsom right. kind of thing. But it, I, I, if somebody did, they would they would do awfully well. What if you if you had a bet? Let me ask you a question. You know, you were saying before, um, it, what would a Biden Trump rematch look like in your mind? Like assuming the economy is not much better or much worse in Al's scenario, um, do many states switch hands? Does, uh, does the popular vote margin change much, or, or are we largely repeating where we were? Ron, to interrupt, and before James gets to it, you also have to factor in the possibility of a third of a no labels or a yeah. Joe Manchin. Yeah, fuck, you got Cornell West. I mean, don't kid me. Joe yeah. Stein got more votes than Hillary lost in Pennsylvania, Michigan, or mm-hmm. Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if you if it's a Biden Trump matchup, you, you got to get a third party. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's all no labels is counting on. Mm-hmm. If, if, but but I, let me say, there's not, I don't hear serious talk about if, if people are mulling getting in this, they're certainly keeping it uh, very yeah. much to themselves. Yes. I, I, I would say, it's in, you know, there's a very persuasive argument to make. Uh, don't do this because if you do, you're going to weaken Biden and you're going to elect Trump. If that's a very, Common and, and and it's an understandable thought. I, I understand that. And you know, people say, "Well, then Eddie, Kennedy got in 1980. Carter lost. I think Carter was going to lose anyway." Yeah. But you can say that when Gene McCarthy got in 1968, that was the end of Lyndon Johnson. They got out, and the Republicans won. I, I mean, it's fraught with danger. But you know, how dangerous is it to run a candidate with a his approval is going down. Yeah, I, I've always thought, James, that a serious and Buchanan versus Bush in 92, another example. I've always thought a serious primary challenge is more a symptom than a cause 
of yes. presidential weakness. Yeah. It's not it's not like the challenge, you know, makes it impossible for the president to win. It's that it's that the president was in a position where he was unlikely to win. And that's why the challenge emerged. And that's I think would be the case here too. the difference being that, again, the combination of Trump's troubles and the 22 precedent that's keeping Democrats on the ledge from jumping off the ledge. They still think that despite these concerns about Biden that are, you know, that he's that he can't dispel or doesn't seem to be able to dispel yet in polls, that he can still win anyway. Because, you know, people who, uh, you know, Solinda Lake said to me recently for a story, I think this is the first time anyone in kind of the broader Biden world said this. Um, she doesn't think he has to get back to 50 percent approval to win. Uh, she said, we just need, we, Biden, just needs to have higher favorability than his Republican opponent. That's a new standard. You know, traditionally, we thought a president needs to be at 50 percent uh, to win. And I think that was a very revealing comment about kind of their thinking about this and how their thinking follows the model of 22, where, um, you know, they were able to win in states where Biden was pretty unpopular. And you pointed out, or Al pointed out that, you know, that there, there may have been stronger Democratic candidates uh, in in some of those states. But it's also true that Democrats, you know, emerge from Michigan, Pennsylvania, and to a lesser extent, even Wisconsin with a little with some margin. I mean, you know, you don't have to win by the 12 points that Gretchen Whitmer won by or the right. 17 that Josh Shapiro won by or even the five that Fetterman won by. Um, uh, um, so look, this is, I mean, you're, 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 none of what you're saying is crazy. I mean, you're pointing to real warning signs, but you know, Republicans are, uh, running through some red lights too here. Right. I mean, just look, just look at this. I mean, did, did Trump endanger national security through what he did, uh, in his handling of classified documents in the CNN poll, 64% of college whites say yes. 68% 68% of people 18 to 34 say yes. 71% of people of color say yes. 67% of independents say yes. Um, uh, comparable numbers of each of those groups say he should end his campaign now and even more add that he should end his campaign if convicted. Um, you know, it's not like he's going to collapse, but it's also not like nobody is noticing that he's facing multiple criminal indictments and he left sensitive national security doc documents in a bathroom. I mean, like people have kind of noticed that as well. So in many ways, maybe both sides are kind of steaming through all sorts of uh, all sorts of red lights. And you have to ask, you know, do any of the other Republicans have a strategy that will allow them to overtake Trump? You know, I mean, DeSantis is basically trying to run at him from the right. The others, you know, except for Christie and Hutchison, are trying to ignore him. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, you know, you could imagine a world. Certainly every Republican frontrunner has either has lost either Iowa, or New Hampshire. It's not unreasonable that Trump would lose one of them. Um, but can you then translate that into a full scale national campaign against him? If he's a 50 percent nationally, he's going to be ahead in every state you know, as it rolls up on the calendar and there isn't enough time or money to change that state by state. You got to change it all at once uh, by re- reframing the race. I don't know if anybody can do that, even if they do beat it in one of those early states. J- James, I'll tell you something. This is the longest segment we've ever had, and I wouldn't cut a second. <laughs> to hear Brownstein and Carville 
talk about American politics as a seminar. Ron, I would just add one thing, which I think is an historical inaccuracy, that Kennedy cost Carter the 1980 election. It's just simply not no, true. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, on election day, election day that day, there were 52 American hostages in Iran who were humiliating America. And you know what the misery index was? Yeah. The combination of unemployment and inflation 18, on election 22? day. 20, 20, 20%, 12.5% unemployment. That's what cost Jimmy Carter, who also, I think, by the way, was a pretty darn good one-term president. Well, like I said to James, I think primary challenges are more a symptom than a cause of presidential weakness. Exactly. Yeah. Ron Brownstein, we can have you back for another hour. (laughs) Um, uh, Give your wife a hug and uh, Uh, thank you. Same to you and all of you. Ron, thank you so Thanks, much. Guys. You're, you're one of the great guests of all times. Come back soon, okay? Thank you. Always glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Everyone's talking about how chat GPT and artificial intelligence is going to change the world. Microsoft, Google, they're all investing heavily in AI for search. But guess what? They're also the same big tech companies that determine your search results. Only now they get to cut out a whole new layer of the information you see. Now, why should they link off to third-party websites in the search results when they can direct you to their algorithms and generate their idea of the perfect answer for your questions? So now more than ever, it's important to get unfiltered news without the This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, James, my outrage today is different and it's more serious than most. A really good newsletter, G Zero Daily, reports that the far right alternative for Deutschland Party in Germany is closing in on being the second most popular political faction in that country. Its popularity has doubled in less than two years with real strongholds in the former East Germany, which still faces more economic problems. Eurosceptic anti-immigration, the AFD has neo-Nazi bearings. One of its leaders suggested that all Holocaust memorials should be taken down. A major cause, experts say, is inflation. It's higher than in the United States, caused in part by the war in Ukraine and curbing the use of Russian natural gas. Germany is a great country with an extraordinary performance over the past 75 years. Still, we get nervous when far-right elements are on the rise in Deutschland. I hope conservatives in Europe and the United States will speak out against this threat. Well, it's a threat, I'll tell you that. It's, it's growing, you know, it's big in Italy. It's big everywhere. Yeah. I was just, just like, so uh, my outrage is, is that the socialist, communist, leftist uh, governing by city council of Austin in Dallas passed a, a pesky job killing uh, anti-capitalism uh, ordinance that said that uh, after four hours you had to give 
construction workers a hydration break. Now, in case you not know right now, the temperatures all across Texas are like 104 degrees. And the Texas legislature, being the great Christian organization that it is, and, and you know, adhering to the biblical principles, overturned that. Because we would not want some, a roofer in, in Austin working in 103-degree weather to get 10 minutes every four hours to, to cool off a little bit. I, I mean— That's not I, what I made America the, great, cooling not, off, right, James? No. Yeah. No, and I, let me tell you something, man. We don't need that. You know, we, we, we our, our construction industry—and you know, and they would say, oh, they're used to that heat. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, I think at, at a lot of times, the cruelty is the point. That's why they do it, to be cruel. And, and I'm sure these lobbyists think that they're all God-fearing good people. <laughs> that they come, by the way, they call it the, you can Google it, called the Death Star Bill. The Death Star Bill. You can look it up if, if you think it sounds outrageous. All right, James, now for our questions. There are so many good ones again. Nancy in San Diego, what do you think the odds are that Waltine Nauta, who was the valet for Trump, spends time in prison, but Trump doesn't? It would fit, fit the pattern of Trump's life. It could be. I mean, but Waltine Nauta has a choice not to go to jail. Right. It's right in front of him. So I, I, but but it, it would certainly be, be to, totally in keeping... With Trump, you know, the other thing that we, we, we don't talk about is all of these other indictments coming. He's going to be indicted in Fulton County. I, I, people think it's almost a certainty that Jack Smith's going to indict him again in Washington for the fake electors and trying to interfere with a congressional act of Congress. Civil so, suit in New York. Yeah. criminal trial coming up in New York. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, you no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, look, I think uh, if Mr. Nauta is um, – uh, if, his, if his rationale is loyalty, he ought to understand with Donald Trump that is a verboten word. He has never been loyal to anyone but himself, and that will continue to be the case now. Uh, Gordon in Norwood, Michigan said, assuming we save the country from Trump and even more importantly Trumpism – how can we govern in a bipartisan fashion knowing Republicans did not lift a finger while Trump brought us to the brink of destruction? How do we reach a rapprochement with Mitch McConnell, who famously said Democrats are going to take care of this son of a bitch for us? And, quote, I'm sorry to disappoint you, Gordon. We are not. Uh, as Ron Brownstein said, I think we are headed uh, for a time of, uh, of more friction, certainly a political civil war as far as the eye can see. And even if the McConnells of the world wanted to try to restore more comity or civility to the process, their base won't let them. I mean, that Republican base is not getting weaker. The Trump base is getting stronger, whether they're for Trump or not. You just look at all the other people uh, who are running. Look at what's happening in parties in Pennsylvania and in Michigan and in Wisconsin and in Arizona. So, uh, uh, Gordon, I don't have any good news on that front for you. It, it, there's a way you can solve it. Elect more Democrats. 
Again, I can't get back. The Senate map is awful. So, so let's play this out. So it's Biden and Trump. Right. And Biden wins because he replicates his victories in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, plus the 20 states that Democrats always carry. And you lose four Senate seats. Guess what? You're back to ground zero almost. I mean, Trump's not president. You have a traitor in there. You, you got an actual patriot as president, which in my mind counts a lot. But until this older generation of Republicans die off. Well, James, it's not the older generation, I'm afraid. It's a lot of the younger generation. Well, it's a lot of them. But I they, mean, you look at guys like Vance and Hawley and some of those right-wingers in the older, House. I, I'm talking about the voters more than yeah. I am, the politicians. Well, I hope you're right. I don't know, but it's not going to yeah. – I don't think it's going to change by 2024. And the answer to every problem that America has, in my humble view, if you expect me to say this, but I think it's true, elect more Democrats. Okay, mm-hmm. if, you, if you're concerned about women's issues, elect more Democrats. If you're concerned, you know, any, you know, the Democrats would be more likely, I think, to to include Republicans in some things, and Republicans would be to include Democrats in some things. But that that's that's the answer. Yeah. Preston in Olympia, Washington, uh, wants to know, James, why are the media and punditry giving credence, so much credence, to Bill Barr and Chris Christie, both instrumental Trump enablers? Well, whenever they have a criticism of Trump or the plight of his legal battles is treated like a big deal and people forget their past. What's the answer? Well, I, what you say is undeniably true. I mean, Governor Christie was prepping Trump for a debate in October of 2020. And of course, Trump gave him COVID, and then called him in a was almost his deathbed in an ICU, and asked him not to tell anybody that he gave him COVID. Barr was in on everything, but it it is you know we keep saying when are some Republicans going to come up and say something? Well, they came up and said something almost different than me, but your own Attorney General basically says you're criminally toast. You know, who was a previous attorney general? I don't know. That's pretty newsworthy. I'm, and I mean, everybody knows that he he turned on Trump, but you, you can't. If you're going to say to people that were with Trump and turn on him, you, you you're not allowed to be covered because you used to be for him. Then that's that's not going to encourage other people from coming forward. I don't you know if I'm making out sense. Half the country, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you, you kind of you need converts in this church, and is is flawed is those two converts are at least you know to end the pews, which is says something. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Pat in Chicago, Illinois, says that I'd have to get top secret clearance if I were to have access to classified documents. I'd have to meet the requirements. Uh, A president doesn't have to. Uh, Insane. Let's pass a law that requires a president to pass a background check. Pat, I want to correct your your very well-intended question. The problem was not that Trump had access to classified documents when he was president. That's nothing can stop that, nor probably nothing should stop that. And the problem wasn't even that he took classified documents to Mar-a-Lago and that he was given ample opportunity, repeated opportunities by the uh, Justice Department to return those documents that he had no right to take. 
Instead, what he did was he stonewalled, he lied, he prevaricated, he returned some while pretending he'd return them all. He tried to keep some there. He himself was in charge of sorting them out. That's what he was indicted for. That's what he violated. That is a violation of law. And I love those people who cite the Presidential Records Act. He violated that act. Uh, So I don't think we need new laws uh, to stop Donald Trump. We need to stop Donald Trump in the court of law. But there are two things, and I don't mean to be a smarty pants here, but I think the Constitution lays out the qualifications to run for president, and I'm not sure the courts would allow subsequent uh, congressional uh, requirements to run for run for president. I, I think the Constitution is, you know, it's got to be 35 years old and you have to be born in the United States right. or whatever. Right, right. right. So I, I don't know, but, it, but that, that's... One of the greatest misconceptions. I mean, there are a lot of big ones, but one of the greatest is Trump is being indicted for possession of these documents. He is not. He was indicted for willful retention of the documents. And that's that's the point that people miss. And they say, oh, well, James, it's a big concern. It's a librarian's issue. He's the president. He could possess it. They weren't going to do anything. There's a, a, a post story that I, I think we, we had too much to talk about by, by this Carol D. Leoning, who I don't know, but she seems like an awfully good reporter. And She's they, a they, hell of a reporter. This is, a, I don't know, a 30,000-word story. And the real story here is how the Justice Department went out of their way to not deal with Trump. They literally went out of their way. It was uh, they, they didn't move. Now they've moved to, to their credit. Once they moved, they moved. But but they did everything in the world they could not to prosecute this. And he kept the guy at any point could have stopped this at any point that he wanted to. And he's just stupid. You, you got to understand this. He's going to jail himself. But and it's not a. It's not. He's not being indicted for possessing the documents. He's being indicted for willfully retaining the documents after being subpoenaed, after being told what the law was, after being begged, after being negotiated with, after being pled with. It's it, it, this. This people. You know, not certainly the person that writes in, but understand what's at, at work here. Yep. This guy is, is convicting himself. If anybody has any questions about that, just read the indictment. It's about a 40-page indictment, and just read it. It is very persuasive. And if you want to go to, go to the New York Times, which has an annotated, ex, annotated explanation um, uh, on the side. So, um, yeah, you know, is. this is absolutely clear-cut. Jan in, in Singapore, I love Singapore. My ageless cousin lives over there. Uh, it's, a, it's a place that works. Uh, but Jen asks, Governor Tim Walls of Minnesota communicates clearly, simply, and down to earth. Just a nice guy. I am so excited about him and find myself mystified by his lack of coverage. Why, James? Well, okay. first of all, and I had a, like a, I don't know, a four-hour layover. And I got a stunning transportation center, and I took a the, the subway or the, the railroad, light rail, into central Singapore and went to the Raffles Hotel where the British were sitting there shooting pool, waiting on the Japanese to capture them. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. 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 But it was, uh, 
Salvation Army used to play for dancers there. And you talk about a city where everything works. Holy yeah. moly. But but And it's only it's less than sixty years old. Yeah, Walsh is a very, very talented guy. The, the, the Minnesota legislature is it would have would have slim majority his Passed some of the most progressive, forward-looking, I think, good legislation is anywhere in the country. In yeah, I think on Wall's problem is is that there's so many you know big name governors out there from Newsom to Whitmer. You know, I think this guy Josh Shapiro might be the best I've seen in a long time. But right but Wes Moore, who's a yeah. who, who's a, you know really stunning. I mean, our Roy Cooper is hardly his name. Roy Cooper. I mean, it, 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 that's it, it. This question goes to what I think our, you and I's central point is: the greatest myth in current American politics is, well, the Democrats don't have anybody else but Biden, which is the most the greatest myth ever. Yeah, this yeah. is reeking with talent. But Jen, you were right about Tim Walls, and uh, we're glad you're 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 listening in Singapore and yeah. keep those letters coming in. Thank you, everybody. If we didn't get to them this week, we'll get to them next week. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carvel, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Henson Shaving and ExpressVPN in the show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them. When you do, you help make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning.